So if you're a Christian today, you have nothing to boast about. You cannot say that God chose you because you were better than a sibling, a brother, or a sister. You cannot say that God made you a Christian because He foresaw what you would be and what you would do, and that He just came down so far with an offer of salvation, and you, by your ability, rose up to take that offer of salvation, and God did His part, you did your part. You did nothing. You were lost, incapable, unable to trust. There was no faith in you. There was no desire to repent in you. You loved your sin until free grace awoke you. Once again, we welcome you to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us. And today we're continuing our main subject on unconditional election. That means that God did not choose his people because of some inherent good. He did not see their walk, their talk as any better, but rather he saw the sin that made men unworthy. He chose in spite of our badness, not because of our goodness. He set us love upon us just because he set his love upon us. There is no earthly reason why God should save any sinner. The reason is in the heart of God. He, out of his infinite mercy and his love toward undeserving sinners, chose us to eternal life through Christ his Son. What a glorious doctrine, and that's the message today. Firstly, we have our uh, Reformation choir to sing wonderful, wonderful words. Promise of pearl that all if they will may see. 
Now, do you understand God's timing before the foundation of the world, having predestined, programmed before time, each and every one who will one day be in glory? That's the marvel of God's statement here on election. I want to move now to the purpose. Now, I realize I'm shaving things kind of fine here, But you'll notice here in verse 5 that it says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And here you can see God's will comes into it. Now, that's a key word, and I can't overemphasize it enough. It's a very small word. It's not nearly as big as predestination. It's not as big as election. And it would seem to be more common than any other of those words. But the verse 5, the word will, is absolutely key. And I want to give you a synonym, an alternate word for the word will here. And it is the word program. Now, we use this in the Lord's Prayer. We talk about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a prayer that every Christian should pray daily. Thy will be done. What are we praying for? We're asking for God's program to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew 7, it talks about, but he that doeth the will of my Father. What is the will of the Father? It's the program. It's the duty that God has laid out. It's what God has stated to be done. It's his program. Or in Matthew 12, 50, whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. He that will do the will. That means the program of God. And so when the Bible refers to God's will in man's salvation, it's really speaking about God's program. And I want you to firstly note that God has a program. He works by a program. And it's not a take it or leave it. God has this all sealed up. He knows the end from the beginning because he has decreed it. He's the architect that planned it. And then secondly, in salvation, this program is God's good pleasure. It's his delight. It's what he wants to do. And he's going to take great pleasure in fulfilling it, carrying it out, and bringing the multitudes of elect, his chosen children, into glory. Now, it's his good pleasure. There's no coercion here. There's no sense in God is, well, I've done my part. It's now up to somebody else to do their part. No, God has ensured that he is honored for all of it. And in his wonderful, free, sovereign way, He's pleased. It's his delight to save sinners. Now, there are many Bible texts to show this total freedom. I don't want to just rummage through the Bible here today and multiply text upon text upon text. And this is not a matter of just laying out on two sheets of paper 
and finding out, well, which side of the argument has the most texts. The Bible is not fighting itself. The Bible agrees in all of its true statements. And in God's good pleasure, we're told here in, well, we read it in verse 5, but you'll see it again in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him which worketh after the counsel of his own will, his own program. And this truth of God's freedom to act in a totally sovereign way, it's multiplied throughout the Bible. It's good pleasure. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he chooses whom he will, and he saves them his own way, and he brings them forth to glory. That's the electing purposes and the plan of God. Now, you might say, but why does God not save everybody? Why does he choose some to eternal life and not all? That's because he's free. That's because he's sovereign. And the Bible states it clearly. That's how he does it. And we've got to rejoice that he chose us and brought us into this marvelous plan of salvation. Now, there's one Bible account that we have to look at under this subject, and that is the matter of Jacob and Esau. Let's go to Romans chapter 9, verses 13 and 16. And the question is, why not Esau and why Jacob? These are two brothers, twins. They are born from the same parents. They're born at the same time. And before they were born— God, in his sovereign choosing, in his program, chose Jacob to eternal life. But why not Esau? If you read the life of Esau, he was a a milder, he was a, a more honest man than Jacob was. Jacob was the twister, the deceiver. Why would God choose Jacob and not Esau? Well, I could give you more of the history of that. But if you read the life story of Jacob and Esau, you will find that Jacob was the unlikely one to be saved. He was the twister. He was not a very likable character. You couldn't trust him as far as you would throw him. And yet, in God's sovereign program, God chose Jacob. Let's go to Romans 9, verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. And it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Paul is uh, acknowledging people will say this is not fair then. Well, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. 
For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. There's God's program. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now, why would any Christian object to such infinite free love from a good God who sovereignly decides to elect sinners to eternal life? Because some say it's not fair. To object is to deny that Jacob deserved or Esau deserved anything. He was sinner. He was corrupt. He did nothing to earn heaven. And that is the issue that we need to settle. And if sinners and all sinners are totally unworthy of salvation, then God's sovereign election is pure love, pure mercy, pure grace. It is, if it's deserved in any way, then it is no longer grace. And if you turn to Romans 11:5, you'll see that that now becomes the issue. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. In other words, for God to save a deserving sinner, there's no grace. And there is no such thing as a deserving sinner. All are lost, and all are hopeless without God's saving program. So if you're a Christian today, you have nothing to boast about. You cannot say that God chose you because you were better than a sibling, a brother, or a sister. You cannot say that God made you a Christian because he foresaw what you would be and what you would do, and that he just came down so far with an offer of salvation, and you, by your ability, rose up to take that offer of salvation, and God did his part, you did your part. You did nothing. You were lost, incapable, unable to trust. There was no faith in you. There was no desire to repent in you. You loved your sin until free grace awoke you and brought you to resign and trust in the Lord Jesus. That brings us now to the union of God's choosing in him. In verse 4, it says, according as he hath chosen us, chosen us in him, in him. There's the union before the foundation of the world. And then it goes on to say in uh, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, it talks about being accepted in the beloved. Election brings everyone into union with the Lord Jesus, and he chose us to unite us to his Son. And God's electing is always an adopting work. It doesn't leave us in the pool of humanity. It brings us into the family of God in union with the person of the Lord Jesus. And that's the thing that you need to be sure about today. You cannot read God's book of election 
but you can read the book of his adoption. If you have been brought by faith into union with Christ, into the family of God through salvation, you know you're adopted, and you also know that you're elected. Because everyone whom he elects, he adopts and unites them, joins them by faith to the Lord Jesus. Because you're commanded to believe, and this is the way by which we are joined to the Lord. And so it's your responsibility today not to ask, am I one of God's elect? That's God's business. God's business is his electing purpose. Your business is to ensure that you're in the family, that you've been adopted, that you have believed on the Lord Jesus, and you're united to him. And everyone who has that assurance can then go on to rejoice in election that you have been chosen to this new life in Christ Jesus, chosen in him to the adoption of children, accepted in the beloved. I have to ask you, are you personally united to the Lord? Have you trusted him to save you? You see, this whole matter of election would just be useless talk if you're still on your broad road to hell. This would be pointless discussion if it doesn't bring you to the feet of Jesus for salvation. You need a Savior. You need the Savior that God appointed. And you need to press in that you may know that you are chosen in Him and that you're adopted into the family of God. Now, the last thing I want us to look at here this morning is the praise for God's choosing. In verse 6 and verse 12, you will see that all of this adds up to the praise of the glory of His grace. And verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. The doctrine of election is so extraordinary and so filled with the mercy of God that God receives all the praise. Man, none. God receives it all. Think in terms of God working from all eternity before the creation of the world. He plans our redemption, and He works in grace, and He knows that even though we have sinned through Adam, He appoints us to eternal life. That's amazing. That's God's electing love. And out of that mass of fallen, miserable humanity, God is moved out of pure pity because he owes salvation to no one. No one can claim you must save me when all are bankrupt and lost. But God, out of pure compassion for the pity of souls, he is moved to choose to eternal life a people, a great many people, who will one day join him in glory and worship him for all eternity. Now, that is a remarkable plan, and it's all God's plan. We had nothing to do with it. Indeed, human nature would never think of such a thing. When you talk to people that salvation is all of God and all for free, people say, but I have to do something. Nobody imagines by nature that God is so compassionate, so gracious, and so merciful. And of course, he saves us by his gift, 
of free grace at Christ's expense. And I can't wait until next Sunday because that's the happy part to preach when we get to Christ dying for his people. Out of electing love, out of infinite mercy, he ends, enters into the arena as the mighty Redeemer, and he goes to Calvary. And he says, Father, I will pay for all the sins of all the people whom you have ordained to eternal life, and not one shall be lost. Why? Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. And of course, that's the glue of this whole program, T for depravity, U for unconditional election, and then the L leading us to the atonement. That brings us to the program of God. I wonder today, are you washed in Jesus' blood? You can never say that you're elect if you've never been washed. You can never be say that you're chosen if you've never been made holy by the Redeemer's blood. You can never say that you're a child of God if you do not have the Holy Spirit that witnesses to your heart that you're a child of God. All of these things come together in God's marvelous program of infinite grace. And so the church is brought to glory. And one day the Lord Jesus is going to present this church, the elect, all whom God ordained, all whom he has chosen in Christ. And the Lord Jesus is going to present his church spotless, pure, without blemish, and say, here, Father, here are the people that you've given me. Here are the souls for whom I died. And they're all present. And the Lord Jesus will receive the glory and the praise. The Father will take the praise for planning it. Jesus will take the, plain, the, the, the praise for executing it. And the Holy Spirit will take the, the praise for drawing men into faith in Christ. And we will enter into glory and say, Lord, not unto us, not unto us be glory, but unto him who loved us and chose us to eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible presents to us, that God has ordained for the praise of his name for all eternity and will never stop praising him. That's the future that every born-again, blood-washed Christian has. Now, let me ask you again, are you in? Are you in the family? Have you been washed in the blood? Is your name written in the book of life? And the Lord tells us that's what we're to rejoice in. Don't be rejoicing in the house you live in, the money you have in your bank. Don't be rejoicing in all the assets of eternal earthly things that will burn up but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And that is the greatest election of all, to have your name written there. I pray today that you're saved. I pray today that you're rejoicing in this, that you can get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And if not, that today, that you will say, yes, Lord, you died for me, and I'm trusting, and I will praise you for all eternity.
Well, here we have this marvelous doctrine, and I trust that it is a great comfort to know that the Lord has chosen us. We have not chosen him. We love him because he first loved us. That's First John 4.19. Here's a few comments by Mr. Spurgeon on this subject. It always seems inexplicable to me that those who claim free will so very boldly for man should not allow also some free will to God. Why should not Jesus Christ have the right to choose his own bride? And then he says, From the word of God I gather that damnation is all of man from top to bottom, and that salvation is all of grace from first to last. He that perishes chooses to perish, but he that is saved is saved because God has chosen to save him. And again, a controversialist once said, If I thought God had chosen people, I should not preach. That is the very reason why I do preach. What would make him inactive is the mainspring of my earnestness. If the Lord had not a people to be saved, I should have little to cheer me in my ministry. And again, I believe that God will save his own elect. And I also believe that if I do not preach the gospel, the blood of men will be laid at my door. And finally, Mr. Spurgeon said, I believe in divine election because somebody must have the supreme will in this matter, and man's will must not occupy the throne, but the will of God. And so we can see from these clear statements that this doctrine of God's electing a people to eternal life whom are saved by the blood of Jesus and brought into the glory of God, that this is a God-glorifying doctrine. It gives none of the glory and honor to man, and it gives it all to the God of all grace, to the, to the Father who sought us, the Son who bought us, and to the Holy Spirit who wrought this salvation within us. And so I trust that today that you are rejoicing in God's salvation. It is not a doctrine for laziness that we should sit idle and wait and see what happens, but rather it is the very foundation of our earnest endeavor to reach men with the gospel. And here we are today preaching to you over the airwaves that we might bring this message of God's electing love to your soul, that you might claim the promises and say, Lord, thank you for giving me this wonderful gospel of eternal life. And I trust that the Lord today will write these things in your heart and bless you richly. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. 
and 5pm on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604 897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. here on this station as we let the Bible speak.